Bless you guys. Isn't the Lord's presence amazing? We've been talking about the missing piece for the past three weeks, and this is the fourth week of the series, and I hope that you've been getting something out of it. We're going to continue this morning uh, in this thread of talking about the missing piece. title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is Identify with Grace. Identify with Grace. You know, we've been singing about how our God reigns. Over and over again, just worshiping him, just honoring him, saying, God, you reign. I, you reign. You're higher. You're bigger than anything that could be going on in my life. And you reign. I give you control. You reign in my life. And here's what we're saying whenever we sing that. We're singing that God truly is the missing piece in our lives. We're saying that without him, that we're incomplete. So... What do we do whenever we have Jesus in our lives? But we still feel incomplete. We still feel like something's missing. What do we do then? What do we do whenever we are Christians, we're believers, we follow God, we trust in Jesus, we're good folks, and yet we still feel incomplete? What do we do then? What do we do whenever we still battle with these sins? What do we do whenever we still battle with feelings of being insignificant? How do we battle with these thoughts that go through our minds? How do we deal with this stuff as believers? You know, I like to eat at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> and there's gift cards available, and yesterday was my birthday. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you want to support Mexico, no, I'm, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I can kind of. I like to eat at Texas Roadhouse, and I'll never forget one time whenever uh, my family ate at Texas Roadhouse in Texas, you know, where it's just known as Roadhouse. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we were eating there one time, and it was the weirdest thing. Uh, it was just my wife and I, and the waitress comes up to me, and she hands me the check, and I pull out my debit card, and I say, you know, here you go. And she said, oh, she said, don't worry. She said, I won't let anybody see your card and know that you're here. And I looked at her, and I'm like, okay, who am I? <laughs> and she said, you're that professional wrestler, right? <laughs> it happens all the time. <laughs> Everywhere I go. It's a common mistake. Um... She said, you're that professional wrestler, right? And I said, no. She said, well, last time you came in, she said, yes, you are. I know who you are. You're that professional wrestler because last time you came in, you said, don't let anybody see the name on my car because then they'll know that I'm here and I don't want people bothering me. I'm just wanting to be left alone. I'm just passing through town. She said, I was your waitress last time. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I'm not that guy, you know, uh, uh, even though, you know, there was the temptation to play into it, but... Uh, <laughs> It was just a case of mistaken identity. It happens all the time. You know, we'll think somebody else is somebody. Hey, I'm your pastor and I love every single one of you, but let me tell you something. Sometimes I run into you and I'll call you a name that that's not your name and you're just going to have to get over it because I'm still <laughs> learning your names. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I may have asked some of you quite a few times what your name is, but you know, we just have those case of mistaken identity. One of the worst things that I did was whenever um, we lived in Texas and we moved back to Arkansas and because of the time that I'd spent in the town that we moved back to, 
I thought I could remember a lot of people, and whenever I went to go see people who looked familiar, I was real aggressive in just calling out these names, and I got it wrong almost every time. And my wife would say, Derek, would you just call them man or buddy or something? <laughs> Stop saying these names because I was always getting them wrong. We had this case of mistaken identity. And here's the thing, folks, is that mistaken identity is going to occur whenever we allow the wrong things in life to define us. Whenever we don't allow the right things to define us, that's whenever we have this case of mistaken identity. We feel that whatever is most pressing at the time or whatever things from my past kind of creates who I am and I identify with that. And sometimes we can never get over some of those things from our past because our identity is wrapped up in it. Sometimes we get so consumed with work that our identity is wrapped up in our job. Apart from our job, we feel insignificant and like we're nothing because that's our identity. Sometimes we wrap our identity around another person. Or a lot of times parents will wrap their identity around their children. And apart from their children, they're nobody. And they, whenever they have this empty nest syndrome, they don't even know what to do with their lives. And they go into a depression because they have no sense of who they are. Their identity is wrapped up in someone else. You know, sometimes our identity gets wrapped up in our habits. We begin to classify ourselves with certain groups of people because our identity is wrapped up in that. We begin to get our identity wrapped up in our past. Well, you know, I'm just this because I was told that I would never amount to anything or I was told that this and this and this and this is just who I am. And we allow these things to create ceilings. We allow these things to create these roofs over our heads that don't ever allow us to move any further than that point in our life because our identity. We're identifying with who we were. We're identifying with someone else. We've got our identity all messed up because we're allowing these things to define us. And they're not the right things that should define us and chisel us. It's something that is keeping us bound. I'm always going to be stressed out. I'm just a stressed out person. I'm just a worry ward. I, I, I just worry all the time. I'm just a worrier. My mom was a worrier. My grandma was a worrier. We just always worry all the time. We're just constantly living fear and worry and just stressed out all the time. And that's just who I am. And we begin to identify with these things. We begin to identify. I feel like I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm just depressed. And we begin to identify with the situation. I'm broke. I'm worthless. I'm alone. I'm a failure. We begin to compare ourselves to other people we fall into the comparison trap and we begin to allow our identity to be wrapped up in what we have our stuff the things we don't have we allow all this stuff to create and shape our identity you see you've got to understand that whatever you identify with is going to set those boundaries and those limits on what you can do and what you can't do what you identify with is going to set boundaries in place of what you allow others to say to you and what you allow others to do What you allow to identify you and wrap up your identity in is going to determine the level of trust that you have in God. How much can I trust God? How much do I really want to give Him? How much of my life do I really trust Him with? Is He really all-powerful? You see, all these things limit us. They limit our our ability to trust. They they, They limit the things that we feel like we can do, the things that we can't do. I remember that growing up, I'm just going to be real transparent with you, um, Whenever I was growing up, I had uh, wrapped up my identity in the approval of others. Whenever, especially whenever I was a young kid, I wrapped up my identity in the approval of others. And I just I sought it 
and I had to have it all the time, and especially in men because of issues with my dad. And what I did was I would say, I would say stupid things and do stupid things just to get attention and to get approval. I was the class clown. I was the guy who would try to go and do things that, you know, were just kind of a little outrageous so I could get the, the pat on the back or the approval because I had this void. I had this missing piece in my life, and my identity became wrapped up in that. And here's what happened. Whenever I got older, it turned into a fear of authority. It turned into a fear of authority from teachers, from coaches, from bosses. Whenever I began to work, I started work at an early age, and I was just always in fear of men. I became afraid of pastors. I became afraid of authority. And I had these issues in my life, and it became part of my identity because I identified with that constant addiction to approval from others. And I struggled with it. But let me tell you something. Whenever I finally understood, I grew up, I began to mature in God's word and my understanding of who he's made me to be, I began to change what I identified with and I began to identify with what God said about me and I understood I don't have to have this anymore. And it set me free and it changed my life. And I walk now free from the thing that once held me bound because I refuse to identify with who I was and the things that had me bound. And now I'm free. That's exactly what the enemy's trying to do to every person in this room. He's trying to get you to identify with your shortcomings. He's trying to get your identity wrapped up in your failures. He's trying to get your identity wrapped up in your mistakes. And he constantly reminds you of those things, doesn't he? He constantly reminds you of those things because he wants to lower the ceiling of what you think God can do and how much you can trust him. He wants to lower the ceiling of how you view God and how you view yourself as a child of God. And so the ceiling continually gets lower and lower and lower and lower. You guys remember on Star Wars whenever uh, Leah and, uh, and, and, and you've got Luke and you've got Chewbacca and you've got Han Solo and they're all in the trash compactor thing and the walls start closing in? no. Am I alone on the Star Wars thing? <laughs> Nobody's nodding their heads. If you know what I'm talking about, let me hear you say amen. amen. That's what I'm <laughs> Adjust your pocket protector accordingly. <laughs> Those walls are closing in. Those walls were closing in on them, and they did everything they could do to try to brace it. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with your past. That's exactly what the devil wants to do with all the junk in your life, is he wants to come and try to squeeze you and make you suffocate and make you feel like there's no hope, and you just finally just quit and you give up. You try to find everything you can to fill that missing piece in your life, whether it be an addiction to approval, whether it be an addiction to alcohol, whether it be an addiction to pornography, whether it be an addiction to gossip, whether it be an addiction to backbiting and negativity, whether it be an an addiction to lust, whatever it is, you try to take those pieces and cram them in and fill them in, and it doesn't seem to do the trick. And you're constantly looking for that piece to plug in to make the picture whole. And it's not, and the pressure doesn't quit and it doesn't let up. It may let up for just a season, but it doesn't last. It's only temporary, and it's all because We've wrapped up who we think we are in our identity with that junk that's only lowering the ceiling in our lives. You see, we choose 
Somebody say choose. We choose to allow our circumstances and struggles define our identity for us. We choose. You see, this leaves us feeling empty and always seeking for something to fill that gap, something to make us whole. It leaves us always searching, always looking. And I want to share with you what I think is one of the most powerful stories in Scripture, in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, I want to kind of set the stage and tell you what's going on here. David is now the king over Israel. He's the second king. The first king was a guy named Saul. Now, Saul was the very first king over Israel, but here's the deal. God rejected Saul. He blew it. He messed up, and God said, you know what? I'm not going to allow you to continue to be king. They didn't vote. It was kind of like, you know, in England now, the successors of the king are by bloodline. They're not by election. It's not a democratic system. You have to be in the bloodline to continue to be in that king's lineage. Well, David was not in the lineage of Saul. He was not a relative of Saul by blood that would qualify him to be the king. David was made king because God said, you know what? Saul, I've rejected you as king. I'm starting over and making a completely new lineage of kings. But here's the thing. Saul had a son. Saul's son's name was Jonathan. And Jonathan, even though he was the rightful heir to the throne, he and David became very close. They became so close that they did something that's called a covenant. They cut covenant together, which means that they had this extremely deep contract and connection, this bond that bound them together. And here's what they made covenant in in their agreement. They said that whenever, if I'm ever dead and you're still alive, no matter who goes first, you promise to take care of my family. And they both said that to one another. Well, Jonathan dies first, and here's David. And David's the king. And Jonathan, his covenant friend, is now dead. And this is where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. We're going to start reading in the first verse. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see that right there? For Jonathan's sake, what he's saying, Is there anybody that I can show kindness to because of the covenant agreement that I made between myself and Jonathan. I'm looking to make good on the deal, okay? Verse 2. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they, call, when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Verse 3. Then, king, then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to his king, There is still a son of Jonathan, but there's an issue here. He's, he's lame. He's lame in his feet. And the king says, well, where's he at? Ziba said, indeed, he's in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Makar, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, that's the guy's name, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then he said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. He said, here's your servant. I'm here. 
I'm I'm here. And he's lame in his feet. He can't walk. He's got to be carried everywhere. Here's this grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan, this one that David is looking. He's going, is there somebody I can bless? Is there somebody I can show kindness to? I'm looking for somebody to show the favor of God to. I'm looking, I'm searching because I made this deal. I made this covenant and I want to make good on that covenant. Is there anybody? Well, there's this guy. His name's Mephibosheth. I guess they were all out of regular names in the Bible. (laughs) If we were in our church, we would just name him Mike because that seems to be most guys' name in our church. (laughs) Mephibosheth was lame in his feet because whenever he was a baby, his wet nurse was carrying him and running and she tripped and fell and dropped him and it crippled him for life. And here's Mephibosheth, he's crippled. He's in a town by the name of Lodibar. Lodibar. I looked that word up in the Hebrew and that name of that town Lodabar is a town in Gilead, and its Hebrew name means no pasture. There's nothing good there. It means no communication. It means no word. That's what Lodabar means. So here's Mephibosheth. He's crippled, and he's in a place where there's no green pasture. He's in a place that's not a good place. There's no communication there. You don't go hang out in Lodabar. There's no word. And here's Mephibosheth, crippled in this place of disconnection, in this place of pity, in this place of depression, in this place of emptiness. And here he is crippled up. He has to have everybody do something for him because on his own he just can't do anything for himself. He's crippled up. But David's looking for him. As a Christian, you can be full of Jesus in your heart. You can be renewed. You can be forgiven. You can be set free. And still feeling isolated, still feeling bound, and still feeling empty. Even though you call yourself a Christian, you can still feel pressure. Anybody who says they're a Christian, can I get an amen there? (laughs) You still feel pressure even though you're saved? Sometimes the enemy still wants to try to lower that ceiling and put the pressure on you and squeeze you out even more, make you feel isolated, make you feel alone, make you feel worthless. Make you feel like you're in a place where nobody wants to talk to you. You're in Lodabar. You're in a place with no communication. You're in a place with no word. In other words, the devil wants you to think you're dealing with this all by yourself. You're all alone. You know that sin that you're having a hard time with? You're so weird. You're the only one who struggles with that. Man, if people really knew what you struggle with, golly, they wouldn't even want to touch you. They wouldn't even want to talk to you. You're all alone in this. You know your financial struggle. Nobody would understand. You're all alone in this. You know what's going on in your marriage right now? You're all alone. You're all alone. Nobody would understand. Nobody would get it. You know what you're dealing with at work? Man, you're all alone in that situation. You know those feelings of resentment and bitterness that you have? You're all alone. And it cripples you. It cripples you and it makes you feel like you're all alone and you're isolated. But let me tell you some good news today, folks. The king is looking for you. Where's my organ player this morning? I said the king is looking for you. You see, the king is looking to make good on what he promised. I said the king is looking to make good on what he promised. 
The king wants to do it. You've got to understand if something is in the word of God, it's not just in there for fun times and good times. He's in there to deal with you whenever you're in the bad times. He's, he's put those promises in there, and guess what? Not only can he do it, oh God, you're able, you can, you're able, Lord. If it's in his word, not only can he do it, but he wants to do it. He desires to do it. Why else would he put it in there, just to tease us? Nope, he wants to do it. He wants to do what he said he will do. Here's the thing, folks. Mephibosheth was not good enough in himself to earn a spot at the king's table because here's the thing. By natural rights, he was lame. He was crippled. And guess what? He was from a household that brought shame. He was from a bad group of folks that did some bad things. And the house was shamed because the king was rejected by God. You're the grandson of the king that was rejected by God. I mean, come on. You're crippled. <laughs> come on. You're, what's going on here? You're, you can't go to the king. And as soon as he goes to the king, what's the first thing he do? He falls down flat on his face and he lays prostrate and he says, I'm here. I'm your servant. I'm your servant. You see, here's the thing. Royal blood still flowed through his veins. And David was looking to bless someone of Jonathan's house because he had made covenant with him. Now let's finish this here. Second Samuel 9 and verse 7. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant. He said to him, I've forgiven your master's son. All, uh, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to his house. You, therefore, you, therefore, and your sons and your servants, you're going to work the land for him. And you know what else you're going to do? You're going to bring the harvest in so your master's son, Mephibosheth, here, can have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, he's going to eat bread at my table always. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Fifteen sons and twenty servants. That's a lot of guys. Guess what? They're all Mephibosheths to take care of him and for him to come in. Verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he's going to eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Oh, somebody. You need to slap somebody and wake up this morning. If that don't mess you up and jack you up, something's wrong with you today. He said Mephibosheth is not going to just sit there alone in loaded bar anymore with no communication and no word. He's going to eat at the king's table. And not only is he going to eat at my table, he's going to be treated like one of the king's son. He's restored him. He's brought him back from that place of no communication, that place of isolation. He's looking for him. He says he's going to eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Then Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the land of Zeba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table. But look here, he was lame in both of his feet. Wow. He was still lame. But you know what happened whenever he got picked up by those servants? Watch this. He got picked up by those servants, one guy on each arm. Let's just imagine this together carried him to the king's table to be treated like one of the king's sons. Whenever he sat down at the king's table, they'd scoot his chair up. And you want to know what would happen to his lame feet? He couldn't see him anymore. Because you want to know why? 
the king's table covered his weakness. The king's table covered his iniquity. The king's table covered his disfigurement. The king's table covered the thing that had isolated him, that had kept him in depression, that he had identified with. He was no longer, oh, crippled Mephibosheth down in Lodibar. He was a son of a king. And the king's table covered him. And he said, he's going to eat at my table always. And I'm going to take care of him. He's going to be treated like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth became identified by the blood that flowed through his veins and it brought him out of Lodabar. And here's what it did. It caused him to be seated at the king's table. Now here's the thing. I want you to check this out. Galatians 3 and verse 29. It says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. That means that you're connected to something that you couldn't have been connected to any other way than Jesus Christ. That means now you're a part of a heritage and an inheritance that is yours only by faith in Jesus Christ alone. He said, if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. Now tell me this morning, church, tell me this morning, word of grace, here in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin, tell me whatever junk you're going through, tell me whatever hard times you're going through, tell me whatever identity crisis you may have been slipped up in, whatever kind of pressure, whatever kind of ceiling is being lowered in your life that the enemy's trying to squeeze you and get you to quit and give up is greater than God saying, he's my son, he's my, this is my daughter. They're going to be seated at the king's table because they're in Christ. They're a part of something they couldn't have been a part of before. Which identity are you going to find yourself wrapping your mind, your heart around? What are you going to identify with? Are you going to identify with your past? Are you going to let your past always haunt you and always keep you from moving forward? Are you going to let what was done to you and how you were treated, even if it was beyond your control, it was something you had no say-so in? Somebody said something to you, did something to you, treated you a certain way. Are you going to let that squeeze you to the point to where you allow your identity to be consumed with your crippledness, with your brokenness, with staying in loaded bar, being broken? Or are you going to identify with how God sees you? Because God says, pick him up. Pick her up out of that junk. Pick him up. You choose. Are you going to hang out in Lodabar? Or are you going to choose to identify with what Jesus has done? You see, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all, somebody say all, all things have become new. You see, before Jesus, we allowed our pain we allowed our suffering, we allowed our hurt, we allowed our shame to cripple us up from being free like God desires for us to be. But just as King David was seeking Mephibosheth out, church, I believe that this morning God is seeking you out. And I believe that he wants to bring you to his table. And he wants to cover your weakness with his strength. And he wants to bring you to a place where you get a new identity. Therefore, if any man is in Christ... He is a new. Somebody say new. Don't you like new stuff? I like new stuff. You like new cars? You like new TVs, new houses? We like new things. That new car smell. We even try to replicate that scent spread in our cars to get, keep that new car smell. We like new. 
That's what Jesus has done. He's made you new. He has made you new, not through your own works, because guess what? You couldn't earn new. You couldn't try to be new yourself. You could buy some new clothes, put some makeup on, get you a, a nose job. You could get you hair plugs. You could get all kinds of stuff. You still look the same. When you get saved, you still look the same. If you get saved and all of a sudden you come out looking like some kind of model or you come look up, swolled up like a, a wrestler. <laughs> if that happens, then we would have a line all the way down the street of people begging to get in here to get saved. What does he create new in you? He creates a new heart. He puts his spirit in you, creates a new spirit in you. He said, I'm going to take who they were and let it be just completely destroyed. And I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make all things new. But just because I've made all things new, sometimes people still choose to go hang out in Lodabar where there's no communication, there's no pasture, there's no word because they've got their identity wrapped up in it, even though I've made them new. It'd be like if there was a, a, a missing heir to Bill Gates' fortune and he passed away and that person is living on the streets unaware the fact that they have this inheritance and they choose to live out there with no house, no clothes, always begging. You see, folks, God wants you to wrap up your identity in who he says you are. And he says, if you be in Christ, he said, you're a new creation. Amen. I want to show you this, and a lot of people like this, uh, this passage of Scripture, but I think they only like half of it. So uh, we're going to like all of it today. So turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Are we going to continue to live in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. We're not going to do that. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How are we going to identify with who we used to be? How are we going to continue? Because he's already made us new. He's, his, his grace, he's cleansed us, he's made us whole. But yet we're not supposed to live in that sin anymore. We're, we've died to that. We're supposed to change our identity. He said, how long are we going to live in that? He said, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Now, Christians, they can get that part. We like that part because we understand who we were. We want that to be gone. And so we have an easier time swallowing this part of this text saying we were baptized into his death. In other words, I died with Christ. Who I was died with Christ on the cross. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took all these things on the cross for me. But here's what is continued to be said right here. Therefore, we were buried with him through the baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of his Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, then certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he, for he who has died has been freed from sin." Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him. 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also should reckon yourselves dead. See, that's some redneck talk right there. You should reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. What did he say? He said, identify with the death. Yes, who you were. It's gone. But guess what else I want you to identify with? I want you to get out of loaded bar. I want you to get out of the place of no communication. I want you to get out of the place of feeling alone and pressured and the ceiling being lowered because you've wrapped your identity up with your past. He said, you've got to identify with Jesus in his life. Don't just identify him in death only, but identify with him in life. That's the other half that we never think about. We never emphasize. We not only need to identify that it's gone, but we need to identify with what is. We need to identify with what he's done and what he wants us to do now. What he's created us to do now. He's created us to walk in victory over sin. Amen, somebody. He's created us to walk in victory over depression. Amen, somebody. He's created us to walk in victory over all this junk that would try to pressure us and squeeze us and destroy us. He's created you and I to walk in victory, but we have to get a new identity. We've got to identify with Christ, not only in death, but in life. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make. Are you going to let the devil always bring up your shortcomings and your failures and who you were to the point to where you're going to wrap your identity up around it? Are you going to identify with his life? Because the Bible tells me that I'm a new creation. And I think that if it was written in there for me, it was written in there for you too. So if I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. We've got to learn to allow our identity to be wrapped up in what God said about us. We've got to identify with His grace that He has poured on us, and not by our shortcomings, not by our failures. In Ephesians, the second chapter, in the eighth verse, go ahead and bring that up. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved through faith. You see, it's the gift of God, it's not by works. Because if it was by works, then you could say you did it. You would walk around and say, oh, I'm so saved and I'm clean and I'm made new because of what I've done. No, no, no. He said, you've got to keep this thing in perspective. This is not because of you. This is not because of what you've done. This is just by faith in what Jesus did. You see Mephibosheth in his own right? He should have been thrown out of the king's presence because he's crippled. He's from a house that's shameful. He's from the former lineage of the former king. But because of the covenant, because of the covenant that he made, the agreement that he made with Mephibosheth's father, he was welcomed. He was looking for him. He was looking for somebody to bring to his table. Is there anybody I can bless on behalf of Jonathan because I made this covenant agreement with him? Let me tell you something, folks. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, all things are made new. If you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. You're heirs according to the promise. You're heirs. You're now a part of something you had no business being a part of because in your own, you're a sinner. You've got all this junk to deal with. But because of the grace of God, he set you free. Because of the grace of God and your faith in him, he has made you free. Now, let me ask you today, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? I mean, really. The temptation is going to be to go, yeah, pastor, that's good and all, but you don't know me. You don't know where I come from. You don't know how my father treated me. 
you don't know what people say about me. You don't know what I'm dealing with at home. You don't know the physical abuse I've endured. You don't know the mental and emotional stress that I've endured. You don't know the financial pressure that I deal with. You don't know. You don't understand. This is great and all, but you don't know. I know that God's grace is big enough to cover you and bring you to the table. I know that His grace is big enough to bring you to the table, but you know what? You've got to get out of Lodabar. You've got to get out of that place where there's no communication, where there's no word, and you've got to identify yourself with His word. You've got to identify yourself with what He said about you. You've got to identify yourself with His grace. His grace that's amazing. And in His grace, we're complete. And in His grace, we find our identity in His Word. You see, God doesn't want you crippled up and alone in Lodabar today. He wants you to be complete in Him. He wants you to be free. He wants the picture to be complete. You see, God doesn't want you to be bound to your past. He doesn't want you to be bound to disappointments and failures, struggles or pain. He wants you to be free. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you this morning to do something. I'm going to ask you to just make that decision. Who are you going to identify with? What are you going to identify with? And for some of you, God may be pulling on your heart right now. And you may need to talk to God right now. Maybe you need to come up here and just make a place where you just kneel down and you just talk to God. Maybe you need to get out of your seat and you need to walk down here and just make a declaration, make a stand. Maybe you need to move. Maybe you need to do something. Maybe God's calling you. Maybe he's challenging you to do something this morning. Saying, I want you to identify with who I say you are. And not identify with your struggles, with your past, with your pain. You've got to let my grace be big enough. You've got to let the faith and that what Jesus did on the cross be big enough. You've got to identify with his grace. Because God wants you free. Amen. Up here at the front. This area is open if you want to come up and kneel and pray, if you want to stand, if you want to worship God. We're just going to take a minute and sing this song to Him. Let's worship Him.
amazing grace. How sweet the sound. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. That saved a sinner. A wretch. A sinner. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. I once was an addict. Heartbroken. Devastated. Ignored. Betrayed. Weak. Rejected. But now I'm found. But now I'm clean. Strong. I'm loved. I'm encouraged. I'm rescued. I'm at peace. But now I'm pregnant. I once was blind, but now I see. Was abused, but now I'm loved. Was afraid, but now I sing. Was sick, but now I'm cancer free. identify with what Jesus says about me. Amen. I choose this day to identify with the fact that I'm free, that I'm seated at the king's table. And that he's covering my weakness, that through my weakness his power is manifested and made strong. It's not by my works or otherwise I could take credit. It's by faith in him and what he did was good enough. How many of you know what Jesus did was good enough? You know that? You know what's good enough? Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor Derek, I need to make that decision. I need to make that declaration. I, I, I need to get saved by that grace through faith. If you would just bow your heads with me for just a minute. If there's anybody here in this place today that would say, Pastor Derek, I need to give my heart to Jesus today. Or maybe you did at a time whenever you were uh, younger or you've done it in the past, but you need to just reaffirm that commitment today. If there's anybody here in this place like that, just lift up your hand and put it right back down. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Hands are going up all over the room. I see that hand. More importantly, God sees it. I see that hand. Sir, put, yep, you can put it right back down. I see that hand. Anybody else in this place today? Church, I want you to repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I identify with you. I trust you to make me new. I give you my heart. I invite you to make me clean and be my Lord, be my Savior. I trust in you. I am saved by grace through faith. And I choose to identify with that grace. 
not with my past, not with who I was, not with what others have said, but by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer today, I want you.